How is everybody doing on this Friday? It's time to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer here at DNBR. They are the original Colorado beer established in Breckenridge, Colorado in 1990. We talk about all of their myriad of beers all the time. Today, I'm just sipping on an Avalanche Amber Ale because that's easy and you can get it pretty much anywhere in the United States at this point. So look for it at your local liquor store or anywhere else you might buy beer. And keep an eye out on thednbr.com for the Breckenridge event calendar for all of our events where we will have Breck beer and be drinking it. So RSVP to those and come out and have a good time. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon. Call JT Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. See me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon. My goodness gracious. Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their Colorado locations and use Express Checkout to be in and out in minutes. Plus, you can reserve products online beforehand at mygreensolution.com and use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. It's Friday, which means we are answering your listener questions on the show today. AJ, did you have a good holidays and all that? Yeah, man. I uh, certainly enjoyed everything that I did and all of my friends that I got to see and and. Memories they got to create with the peeps and had fun hanging out with you and the lady last night at the company party. Yeah. It was a, it was a good time. We solved the Comcast altitude problem. We did. It's true. Uh, we will keep our solution to ourselves because they don't, <laughs> they don't deserve to know how to fix this. The answer is just too good to be, to be out in the open. It's true. So you'll have to keep that one a mystery, but I do want to start with a question related to the holidays. By fly by Cygnus, what's the best, worst, and weirdest holiday gift you've ever received? So I'll start with weirdest. All right. Um, <clears throat> weirdest was definitely uh, a friend of mine uh, got me a Pez dispenser, except it only dispensed uh, male genitalia shaped Pez. <laughs> where do you even find that and yeah i have no idea but it was kind of a shock when uh when because the pest dispenser was totally normal there was no hint at this at all <laughs> and i went to i went to eat one of the pez and i was like what <laughs> is this <laughs> And so I started looking, I started, like, I, you know, popped a few more out and was like, dude, what? And I just texted him with a bunch of question marks, and he just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Nice. I don't I don't know why he did it. I, I, 
I, I to this day no idea, but it was so out of left field that I was just like, okay, well that was definitely bizarre. weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely bizarre. So strange, hilarious, but it was like, where did this? What? Where, who even has that as an idea? Like, who took the time to craft this thing? Right, right. Um. Best, uh, I will say, uh, my like second set of parents, as I refer to them, uh, got me. They got me money. Money's always good. I had to work for it. When I was still living in Texas, they shipped me this log. It was just like a stump, right? Right. And uh, Papa had drilled holes into this log like and some of them were like deep in there and they put money in the bottom of it and so i was i had to like fish these things out of there and when i was doing it i was like okay this is kind of a hassle but this is pretty funny i'm having to like work for this money that's fine i don't mind this and then i realized that they had like some of the holes had like fake money in it like so you were working for nothing. I pulled out I pulled out a million dollar bill, right? Nice. Like I was yeah. like, son of a and the whole thing was just the whole thing was just hilarious because it was like again, how do you think of that? Who thinks of that? Why do you do this? How much money did he spend to ship right. it to me? And, and a significant amount of money in it. Right. And it was it was like a hundred bucks in cash, which you know right. I was like 16 or 17 at the time. And so I was like, Oh, awesome. I'll take this. This is cool. Yeah. And it was just, it was so odd uh, because it was like this just giant piece of wood that I don't know where it came from. Probably the backyard, I would assume. And then Decided to make use of it and turn it into a Christmas present. And I just thought the creativity was great and I thought it was hilarious. And I thought that was just the coolest, uh, coolest Christmas present I've been given. There have been, I mean, there have been so many good ones uh, that I just, pretty cool. Presents in general are usually a pretty good thing. Yeah. I, worst Christmas present, honestly, I, no, I couldn't even begin to tell you one that at any time I've ever been given something where I have not enjoyed it. So, I I have one that kind of qualifies, I guess, for a worst. Okay. In my birthday is December seventeenth, so I always just lump all the presents together with Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my buddy, when we were younger, did that thing where you know you wrap the gift like eighty five times. <sighs> yeah. So he did that with like it started as like a trash bag, and you worked all the way down to get it open, and he opened it up, and it was like head and shoulders for dandruff. Okay. And that, like, at first I thought that was all the gift was. And I was like, this is a horrible gift. I didn't want this. I don't need this. And then, of course, like, you find through, in one of the 18 million wrappers that I had opened, he got me a, a CD of Coheed and Cambria, I think it was. But for a, for a hot second there, I was like, this is not, this was not worth opening. <laughs> was it in Keeping Secrets of Silent Art 3? I think it was. Then it was worth. 
Right. The obviously the actual gift was not bad, but the fake gift had me going for a minute. That's awesome. I my sister did that. She did like the Russian doll thing to me. Yeah. Um, and it was for a gift card, and like she used like sixteen boxes. Nice. And, like not certainly not like a worst present, but it was just like. Why? Like, Why yeah, would you like, do this to me? <laughs> like, uh, I, I can't. There are no words to express my disgust to you right now. But thank you for the gift. <laughs> uh, best gift, probably an N sixty four. That would have been nineteen ninety six, I think. Yeah. So I was just a five year old kid, and thanks to that, now I love video games all the time, forever. Yeah. That was also uh, a good one. Yeah. yeah. I got that in uh, Mario 64 and um, Top Gear Rally. for yeah, Top Gear Rally was legit. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the games that I got with my N64. Oh, and Mario man. Kart, of course. Yeah, yeah. I my know. dad and I used to get serious about Mario Kart. I would come home and find that dude. Who so he had one of those jobs where as long as he worked like the eight hours in the day, he could pick the hours he worked. Nice. And so there were times where he would go in really early in the morning so he could come home earlier in the day. And <laughs> I would come home from school and I would see him sitting on the ottoman in front of the TV working on the time trials on uh, Mario Kart 64. Trying to get those times down. Yeah, because he didn't like the actual races because he got mad at, at all the items. He was there's no skill involved in this, <laughs> and so he and I only ever did uh, time trials against each other because he didn't like the actual racing because he just he just wanted us to race. He didn't want to deal with all the nonsense of the bananas and the shells and the you know you know the, the stuff that makes him Mario Kart. So <laughs> <clears throat> he was a, and he owned all but one of the time trials. Nice. Yeah. And he did it with Donkey Kong too. He was he was insistent that the heavier racer was the right one right way to go. He was a speedrunner before the speedrunners were a thing. Yeah, he I tell you. Um all right. Yeah, I don't I don't think I really have a weirdest one. I don't know. I guess my worst could probably qualify as weirdest. You, got, you gotta get some stranger friends. Yeah, I'm a bunch of vanilla buddies. We're a bunch of regular people i guess i don't know fair enough um all right next question comes from nix 907 this will be a quick one but he asks which car do i use in rocket league aj i'm assuming you you like don't even know because you don't really play rocket league yeah no when i even when i did that brief amount of time i couldn't even tell you (laughs) um I actually don't know the name of it. I'll have to. I it's it's not one of the like more common normal ones because I opened up like a free gift and and got a car out of it. So I mm. I used Octane. Ah, yes, the one that everyone uses. It was that Octane and Venom. Those were the two that I used the most often. So one of the ones that I use is the Takumi, which is come came with one of the DLCs. And then the other one was, I think it's called the, like, Saber or something. I forget. 
I'm looking at the list and I don't see it, so I'm not sure. Sorry, I don't know which one I use. I used to use the Jakumi. Now I use something else that is weird looking. Why don't you use the Batmobile? Or the DeLorean? I, I didn't buy any of those ones. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I've spent a little bit of money on it, I guess, but very, very little. Most of these is like when they do events and you get free cars. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones I end up getting. Um, That's yeah. fair All enough. Right. Final question of this first period here comes from Evan in Connecticut. Again, Jersey numbers are always a big topic when acquiring new players of the current Avs. Which ones sought after a specific number? And are there any stories that you know behind some of these numbers? which ones just they took whoever I can tell you, I know Ransonen and I know Burakovsky where their date of, or their year of birth. So that's a pretty common thing when you're talking about guys who were in the nineties. Um, but Kadri is not Kadri was born in 1990 and he wears 91. So I'm not sure what's up with that. Uh, <clears throat> I am the worst when it comes to this. Yeah. Um, because I don't care. Just not a numbers guy. Yeah, like Landis Cog is also he also wears his uh, birth year. Yeah, it's ninety two. You're right. So you know, and that's so lame. Yeah, I've never been a big fan of the birth year number thing. Either. The only the only Jersey story that I have is that I asked McKinnon, and obviously this is way back in the day, but I asked McKinnon <clears throat> after Matt Hunwick left if he would consider switching back to 22. And he said, no, that he was, he was just, he just, I'm, I'm a 29 now. And he also said that he didn't want abs fans who had already bought his 29 to feel put out. So he wanted, he wanted to keep that number forever. And then he also said, it's, if things went really well in his career, it would be cool to have a 19 and a 29 in the rafters of Pepsi Center. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm sold on the 1929 thing, but I definitely subscribe to that, that. The idea that the player makes the number, not the other way around. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, that's one reason I thought it would have been cool. Kale McCarr had taken nine. Cause then right. they could have had a 19, uh, a, a nine and 19 and a 29. And then it would have been like, all right, the next great Av gets to get 39. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and that's just how they go. And they can't have 99. So, uh, well, you know, Sammy's already got 49. Yeah, right. 59. Uh, I can't ever think of a 59. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, the, the, the all time classic. Who's <laughs> who's going to be the rock star that takes 69 for an entire <laughs> career? <laughs> And actually gets it retired. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That would uh that would be interesting to say the least. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I guess neither of us are super super big number people. We but. you know, we definitely do a disservice to that part of our listenership that really cares about the jerseys and the the numbers and all that stuff. Cause for me, man, I just it's never been something I've been interested in. Yeah, me either, to be honest. I, numbers are cool, but I'd never put much thought into why any player wears a specific number that they do. 
Yeah. Unless it's an odd number because so many of the numbers are the same. Yeah. Like guys wearing bizarre numbers is like, yes. Any number in the 90s just ignored. Any number below like 20 is ignored. <laughs> yeah. Like any like Mark Stone wearing like 61. I'm like, that's an offensive lineman number. What you what, Why do you wear that? <laughs> so there you go. Wear more interesting numbers. Yeah. I wear 69. A, I want to see a 7.5. There you go. <laughs> Get into the really weird numbers. Um, yeah, we'll end the first period of this question show there, which means... It's time to tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group. If you play for the Avs, there's a good chance that you have some seriously messed up teeth this season. So Green Mountain Dental Group can help you out with that because taking care of your teeth is pretty important. Green Mountain Dental Group is giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush. All you have to do is schedule a cleaning and x-ray and exam. All you have to do is take care of your teeth, and Green Mountain Dental Group will hand over that free Sonicare. You can check them out today online or call 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment today. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast with Rudo and AJ. This next question comes from Vincent. He asked if you had to predict who's going to have the best NHL career between Kamenev, Jost, Kaut, and Bowers, who would you pick? What does best mean? I would say longest, most consistently in the NHL. Probably... Bowers or Jost. Yeah. And I think I think I've got uh, I would have money on I think I would bet on Bowers. I think I lean toward Bowers too. I think I have a little more faith in Cout than you do. Um I think definitely not Kamenev though. Even if he, you know, ends up finding a regular NHL job somewhere, I don't mm-hmm. think with his career trajectory, it's just not set up for him to be here that long. And being Russian, he always has that KHL out as well. Yeah. Um, with Jost, I mean, this is a tough conversation that we have seemingly every week on the pod. Yeah. Uh, he Is he just what he is at this point? Is he going to just be a kind of third line-ish type guy for the rest of his career? That's starting to seem to be what it is. You know, it's easy to say it feels that way, right? But at the same time, we've got to remember this kid's 21. Right. Plenty of time. He's just so young, man. And it's funny. The perception that, like, this hasn't worked out. The Avs have to move him. Like, Oh, they should just move on. They know they know what they have in him and hasn't worked out. He just needs to go elsewhere. I just it's fascinating to me because a guy like Nikita Zadorov has been given a free pass for five years. Yeah. I, you know, he's been he's been given opportunity upon opportunity, top four, um specific assignments against best players, like we have seen Big Z just be force-fed chances to see what he does with them. And as as much as like Tyson Jost has been given kind of the, the, the golden road in that he signed and has basically just been here ever since, uh, they have played him in the bottom six basically his entire career. 
the stints in the top six have been extremely short in right. many cases. And and we've also seen that hey, like if a player is a better center than uh than a wing, and you play him at out of position at a place where he does not succeed as well, and you put him there and you say, well, that's your top six shot. It's like. It's not really much of a top six shot. Yeah, not a fair shake at all, really. And, and and in no way am I sitting here saying that he's been mistreated or that he should be playing over Kadri. God, no. God, no. I'm not making that argument. I'm just saying it's very difficult for me to completely write him off uh, after, after we're, you know, two and a half years because he's 21. He's just so young still so young that it's like say the abs do include him in a big deal because they want to go and get another bona fide top six guy and he gets included there it would not surprise me at all if he ends up you know two more years down the road 23 24 year old season that dude gets into wherever he is and he's figured he's figured it all out at this point and he turns into a 40 50 point player down the road like would not surprise me even a little bit. I just, I don't understand the crowd that wants to actively move on from him. Is he expendable? Perhaps you can definitely make him part of a trade, but I don't mm-hmm. know why you would be actively looking to move someone that sure. Maybe he hasn't lived up to the hype yet, but he works just fine in the abs bottom six. Mm-hmm. So, you're getting a cost-controlled player down there with that opportunity to potentially break out in the future if he puts it all together. Definitely. And, you know, when we talk about potentially expendable, it's because of Bowers. Exactly. Because Bowers, you look at exactly how Bowers plays and he goes, that's a 3C. Exactly. That is exactly how a 3C plays. So He fits your traditional mold of what you want out of a third-line center. Just exactly what you want. He's a great skater. He's a hard worker. He's very smart. He's good defensively. He does all the little things well. He's got enough offensive upside that you can put him out there and you can get some points out of him. But you're never going to get like a 50-point season out of that guy. Like and it's just not going to happen. It's it's not been there anywhere in his career. You know, USHL uh, college. It's just not been there. It's never been there. Where when you look at Jost, Jost was explosive offensively every single place he ever played, except in the NHL. And that's the reason why I say if, if he ends up as like a forty point guy. <clears throat> That would not surprise me, you know, somewhere. If he goes somewhere else and ends up being a 40-point guy, uh, that would not be a big shock to me. If Bowers ends up a 40-point guy, I would be pretty surprised. Yeah, I. you would expect him to fall somewhere in that Nieto-Calvertish range, I would think. Yeah, I, I. the Avs haven't had one of these guys in such a long time. Like, you look at Belmar and you're like, I, the kind of year Belmar is having is sort of where I would expect him to be. But to be better offensively throughout his career than Belmar has been. Right. Like this year, every year, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Um, I 
I'm not sure where Belmar's pace is anymore. I think it's 25, 30 ish. So, but that's, yeah, maybe a little bit higher depending on if he's got really, if they have like a really good third line. Sure. Of course it could be higher if they are not as deep on in some years, then, you know, <laughs> then, okay. Yeah. Belmar on a 27 point pace. If Bowers ended up there, um, I'd be a little disappointed. I want it to be more into the thirties. See, this is where I think Cout still has a chance to be more of a 40-ish point player. And mm-hmm. granted, the setbacks that he's had this season have pushed that a bit further off now. And there's a very real possibility that he just never gets there. But yeah. I don't want to write it off completely. And if he does get there, that's why I could see him as having the, the most established NHL career out of these guys. And the thing the thing with Cout is that he's so responsible and he's so talented uh but he's super unselfish yeah and we have seen when he's been put in environments where he plays with high skill players he fits perfectly you know playing playing for czech republic the last couple of years in wjc's was a great example of what happens when you hey we're gonna make this guy a focal part of, of our offense how does he do you know he makes it work with the top players and then when you put him on a third or th- a third line like they have with the Eagles for most of his time, he makes it work in a different way. It's not as productive offensively, but he if you're actually paying attention and watching the games themselves, you'll see that he's actually doing what he's been what he's being asked to do. He's he's playing well. Uh, he's not like an individual play driver, but he's he's very smart. And we have said it a thousand times that he is a guy that I think ends up a better NHLer than AHLer because of the way that he'll fit into a structure. Yep, one hundred percent. He plays off of quality play better than most of his teammates in the AHL, and sometimes he just doesn't have the opportunity to play with that level of player down there. Right, and like when when he's down there and he's playing next to like Jason Magna, you know, it's just like come on, and. The AHL in general is a very individual league. You have to be able to create for yourself a lot. And Cout can do that at times. But there's a reason why you have guys like Jason Megna, like TJ Tynan, like Andrew Agazzino that are very good individually at, in that league and can be a point-per-game player and then just mm-hmm. don't function in the NHL. Right. So that that's where I see Cout potentially if he hits his ceiling and gets into the NHL and and is that player that contributes significantly offensively could fall. Yeah. And, and I do, I, I, with Bowers, I just think that this is a guy that if you're looking for kind of a career for him to model himself after um, a guy like Brian Boyle, I think would be a, a good benchmark where, you know, he's like 35 and still rolling. Uh, because yeah. he just he just plays that solid two way game where he can fit into your bottom six no matter what he does, and well, just copy and paste every single year. If the Evs trade Shane Bowers for a second round pick when he's thirty four, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Boyle's Boyle's not. <clears throat> Not as offensive, uh, hasn't hasn't scored as much as I think Bowers will. Yeah, but 
the 800 games played and a couple hundred points. Like, <clears throat> I think that's very a, a very realistic expectation of what you get out of Shane Bowers' career. Sure. I'd, I'd say that's fair. Uh, we've taken up a lot of this period, so let's move to the next question. Uh, this one comes from Sly. He asks, what position or type of players can they add at the trade deadline? And I think this is interesting mm-hmm. because we've talked a lot about specific players, people like Tyler DeFoley, people like Chris Kreider. Mm-hmm. But what archetype of player should the Avs be looking for when it comes to adding to this team? An, uh, another top six forward, whether it's a uh... – yeah, and you want you want a top six forward with a little bit of sandpaper to the game. You want to add one more element of hard to play against, right? You know, you the team has so much speed already. The team has an, uh, lots of skill. You would like to you would like to see another skilled player with grit, with with obnoxiousness. You know, a guy that just sucks to play against, right? And you definitely have seen a, a good amount of that from Kadri. You, you get it from Landeskog at times, even from guys like Comfer and, and Calvert and all of that. But yeah. and then but, like half of their back end at this point. Yeah, right. And but there is that little bit of a gap there, especially uh, we've seen Kadri hasn't been that guy consistently. Mm-hmm. He's done it some. But if you can add another guy to that middle six-ish area that can do that, that gets under people's skin a little bit, this team's already great at drawing penalties. If you can bother teams even more, that seems like a quality option. Yeah, and and I think that's where the Kreider thing is so interesting because he is such an obnoxious guy on the ice. Uh, but you really have to be careful with a 29-year-old and who's who's going into unrestricted free agency and but the but the archetype of of Kreider is perfect. It's exactly what you'd like: a twenty goal guy, fifty point player, uh, two way guy, um, very very annoying to play against. Uh, physical element to his game because you know if you do if you are keeping the possibility of playing St. Louis in mind, if you're making a move, you know you be who you are. You know you be who you. We've talked about this. You play to your identity. You go get somebody that that fits into your culture and all that, <laughs> but it's 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 okay. You're allowed to you're allowed to get somebody that can play against St. Louis pretty well too. If Wayne Simmons was seven years younger, <clears throat> Wayne Simmons was four years younger. Yeah, fair. It's happened <laughs> that Wayne Simmons is the great argument about why you have to be careful with Chris Kreider, right? Because Wayne Simmons at like twenty nine, twenty eight. Still really effective. And then he wasn't anymore. Yeah, I I'm with you on that. I I think I'd probably lean a little bit more toward the skill side. I would very much so want to lock in someone that's a fifty point plus player, even yeah. if that's giving up a little bit of sandpaper. Well, and that's why when we talk about like who's the best fit, it's like Anthony Mantha. Right. You know, Ooh. a guy with a a guy with a physical element to the game, but that's a twenty five, thirty goal scorer. Uh, who can give you fifty to sixty points in a in a proper role? And, and he's out would, for a month with a well, rib problem, but. and would legitimately make um, putting a second power play unit on the ice interesting, worth doing at all. Because with like a Mantha, like Gerard as a distributor, as we've seen, because he's not going to shoot Gerard, uh, kind of rotating and and just 
machine gunning pucks back and forth between like Mantha and Burakovsky makes that an interesting unit. Uh, Enough danger on both sides to mean something there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, one more question for this period. This one comes from Jeremy. Leas Anderson has requested a trade from the New York Rangers. Is that someone the Avs should be taking a look at? If that was something, would AJ Greer be part of that package, or what would that look like? I mean, Greer's not going to have any real value here, right? That's that's where I was at too, not, and that's kind of my problem. Is where. I don't think Anderson would bring that much value to the abs coming back either. When you look at what he's done at the <clears throat> NHL level, it's pretty limited. Right. Well, and this is where the Jost conversation has been. A number of people have asked me off. Oh, should the abs be, what about Jost for Anderson just straight up? And Jost it's like been better in every metric, basically. Well, and it's like Jost has proven himself to actually be an NHL player. Right. And, you know, as frustrated as you might be with, his process or how he looks or whatever complaints nitpicks you have of his game itself. Like the dude has produced and shown that he belongs in the NHL. Lisa Anderson hasn't done that. And you, there are a lot of things that go into that, but the bottom line is that one is an NHL player and one is not. And Jost, Jost has at least carved out a, a job on a upper echelon team in the Western conference. That's not nothing. Leas Anderson hasn't been able to get a job and and hold it for a rebuilding Rangers team. It just he hasn't has, happened. He has nine points in 66 NHL games in his career. That That's the same pace as someone like Belmar has throughout his career. But and, Belmar has that defensive side to his game. And how old is he? He is 21. Same age. Yep. Same age and just in, in nowhere... Nowhere near as established as Jost is at this point. So that's the other thing that you have. Even if, <clears throat> even if you keep Jost and and make an Anderson trade, where does he play? What does he upgrade? What does he do for you? If you're not giving up a roster player, which I do not believe the Avs should for Elias Anderson, he's just another body in the way of someone else, right? Now like, all of a sudden there's another he, guy ahead of Cout. Well, and is is he better than Kamenev? Even and we're talking about Tyson Jost here, and it's not even a conversation, but is he even better than Kamenev? I you'd be hard we don't, pressed, we don't know I mean. that. If you're looking strictly at numbers, which, yeah, I get it. It's a small sample size for both guys. Mm -hmm. Kamenev has produced better in his NHL time. Not by a ton, but enough that Kamenev has struggled to find a lineup spot. So if you're talking about someone of that caliber or less, how you're right. There is no room for him. It just doesn't doesn't make sense. Right. And this this is the Nachushkin thing coming back around. Where, because that's worked out in the last month. I mean, at this point, it's just flat out worked. Yep. But that doesn't, I mean, one Nachushkin success is not. You hit the one in 10 shot. You're not going to hit the one in 10 shot again. Yeah. yeah, How many, because we've talked about how many reclamation projects the ads have taken on. Like just a year ago, they took on Marco Dano. And didn't there was nothing there. 
Right. Crashed and burned quickly. Yeah. Same with the Yakupov the year before that. And well, and, and same with Brandon Gormley before that when they traded him for right. uh, Stefan Elliott. And the list goes on and on and on of the right. next reclamation project that's going to be the one that works out, and it rarely does. If you go through, if you go through every Avs team over the last ten years, you'll see that there have been so many reclamation projects that just have not worked. Even even looking at the terrible year of sixteen seventeen, they brought in Patrick Weirkosh, who couldn't get an NHL job elsewhere. <sighs> Exactly. I'm another guy that uh, was not offered a uh, a qualifying offer by Ottawa and uh, was an analytics darling. Everybody felt like, hey, this is a lower tier guy. Um, and But if you give him some time, you give him an opportunity, let's see what happens here. And within two years, he was out of the NHL entirely. So I mean it, seriously you go you go through those teams and like <clears throat> even a guy like Sven Andragetto he's like he's like maybe as middle of the road as it gets between a success and a failure of a reclamation project because like Matt Nieto success Patrick Demuth success Valerie Nichushkin success that's great but if you only look at the successes you know like okay They've done a great job, but over the years, they've taken on lots of Rocco Grimaldi was, was also uh, that kind of reclamation guy because it just didn't work out in Florida. So, all right, we'll take on, we'll take on their guy. Now, uh, Mikhail Grigorenko in the, in the O'Reilly deal was kind of a, let's see if Patrick Waugh can get the best out of the guy that he got the best out of in juniors, you know, like lots of these guys have not worked out for Colorado over the years. Now, you could say, well, that was a long time ago, AJ, and only, you know, then clearly something has changed because they've gotten a bunch right lately. But I think that when it comes to flipping a coin, you know, if you flip a coin six times in a row and you get heads six times, you didn't suddenly get good at flipping a coin and having it land on heads. It just landed on heads six times in a row. I uh, hard to disagree with you on that one. I mean, I think the point that you you make here is everyone remembers the successes because guess what? They go on to play for the abs for more than a year or two. Mm-hmm. And you don't remember that. Oh yeah. Jordan Curran played 20 games for this team. So the failures. I mean, Thomas Vinsour. Yeah. He dude played like nine games that year. Yeah. And you don't remember because they played their six minutes in the, bottom line and they weren't good and then they disappeared forever and that's the reality of most of those reclamation projects that's where they end up yeah so it's just i the avs are no longer a team that has room for that type of player anymore right like like the ryan graves thing is so crazy because it was like the absolute last opportunity he was going to get yep and he crushed it. Yeah. And now he's in the NHL lineup and you say, where does the next reclamation project fit? We don't have a spot because Val Nichushkin has taken it. We don't have a spot on defense because Ryan Graves has taken it. You just cannot give the opportunity to those guys that they would need to find out if they're even going to work out. Yeah. So 
we'll end the second period of this podcast there because we're running a little bit long on today's show, but that's okay. It's a Friday show, so we can do that. And when you do work out, when you are a successful reclamation project, well, you definitely are moving up in the tax brackets. So there's a new alternative for addressing your tax needs. Symbiotax and Administration provides its clients with honest and knowledgeable tax services from a licensed professional. You guys know we're all about taking care of our own, and George over at Symbiotax is a proud DNVR subscriber and a diehard ABS fan. Whether you have a small business, you're looking to rent out a room, or you're Ryan Graves and about to get paid this off-season, if you need help filing your tax return, go to a qualified professional to understand your tax requirements. Don't end up at one of those retail tax chains. Call Symbiotax for a free consultation at 720-366-4470 or visit them at symbiotax.com. That's S-Y-M-B-I-O-Tax.com. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. Still Rudo and AJ answering your questions here. This next one comes from Gary. He asks, if you could take body parts from Avs players and make a hockey Frankenstein monster, what would you do? Who would you take from who? Makar's feet, McKinnon's hands, Calvert's heart. Mm. Miko's eyes. You like his vision best? I do. Okay. I'll allow that. If uh, Well, I'm assuming we're doing like only one body part per player. Yes. So, yeah, definitely Miko's eyes then if we took okay. Makar's feet. Uh, Burkovsky's shot. Yep. Um, Zadorov's chest. <laughs> yeah, if it, like Zadorov's frame. Yeah, sure. If I could have Makar's feet and Zadorov's frame in McKinnon's hands, <laughs> greatest player ever. Dude, yeah, we're talking about like, oh, hey, P.S. We've recreated Eric Lindros. <laughs> yep, pretty OP to say the least. Who's hockey IQ? Yeah. Mm, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's where I'm struggling is who's whose IQ would I go with? Eh, not really anyone on the defense, I don't think. It might honestly be Nieto. Maybe. Because I think he I think Nieto plays a just a such a smart game. He makes so many good reads. He just doesn't have that last little bit of ability to push him over the top into fantastic NHL player yeah. status. I feel like he could just take the cop out and say Landy because you get the captain factor there. You want, How about Landy's intangibles? Sure. Yeah, that works. <clears throat> okay. So... Something like that, I think. Yeah. And then what else? Have we forgotten anything obvious in creating uh, a player? Grubauer's left pad. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. I was just going to leave the goalies out of this entirely. Yeah, so, so <laughs> <was I. laughs> um, maybe I, I feel like we need somebody's mouth, but I don't think anyone in the abs is particularly great at trash talk. So. I mean, I might uh, Ian Cole's beard. Sure, there you go. Uh, Eric Johnson's teeth. 
Well, it might be Burakovsky's teeth after the other night, but yikes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably about it. Yeah, I'm good with that player. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> that is definitely the create a player overall 99. Yeah, right. <laughs> where you just like I uh <clears throat> when I used to play the old NBA games, I used to make uh, I used to make a center, a seven foot six center named Abad, <laughs> and that perfect, yeah, and yeah, and he he could run really fast, and he was deadly from three, and it was just like it was he was just so stupid to watch run around in that game because he was just this like behemoth of an individual that could do everything and was just better and faster than everyone else. It was like NBA Jam in an NBA jam character in like a simulation game. <laughs> so <clears throat> that uh, that's, I feel like that's what we just created. It sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just created a bad hockey version. That dude's scoring 150 goals. This year. <laughs> I mean, um, and, and the crazy part, it's like, would he even come close to like Mario Lemieux's career? Uh, maybe. How much better than McDavid would that guy be? Right. Well, I don't even know, man, because McDavid's that good. And because those 80s points total seasons were just so insane. Right. I like if you're the Oilers and you're playing this game, you just pick Connor McDavid, right? Like there are no other parts. <clears throat> yeah. That's so, fair. I mean, it it's tough to go up against, but. Yeah, well, knowing the abs luck, this guy will, like, blow out a knee immediately. So Um, let's move on to another question. Danger Jones asks, has there ever been a rookie D-man as important to a team as Kale McCarr? And I wanted to kind of offshoot this a little bit, too. Has there ever been a rookie as important to the abs as Kale McCarr? Um... I would say that uh, in terms of a rookie D-man, uh, Aaron Ekblad was very important to that Florida team. Uh, they didn't have, like, any D on that team. It was, like, the last vestiges of Brian Campbell's career and then a bunch of babies, like a bunch of a bunch of really young kids that they had drafted. He uh, and he walked in and was like the number one guy on that team, and uh, that was like that was an okay team, like you know. That's that's a recent example um, that I could that I could think of off the top of my head was like Aaron Ekblad was, whew, he was he was the horse on that team, um, you know I know John Klingberg was really good. Uh, his rookie year as well uh, for for Dallas, uh, but Pace I don't know about, too, honestly. Yeah, uh, I don't know uh, when you talk about important. Um, you know that was a that was a defense that had a lot more veteran presence on it. I had guys like Jason Demers and Golikowski on that. Yeah, um, and that was again like a solid team, but not like a not like a top tier team, right? Yeah, they they weren't competing for cups really. <clears throat> so that's 
I think that would probably be the tough part. And like, look, like we saw, yes, the abs miss kill McCarr. Um, but had the abs had not had kill McCarr and had Tyson Berry instead during that, during that, uh, that same stretch, what was it? Eight games. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, how much better would they have done? I don't know. It's a hard question, but the, the other side, I wanted to get into it. Obviously, Nathan McKinnon's first year with the Avs, they, the return to the playoffs, winning the division, all of that. Mm-hmm. Does Kale McCarr feel as important as that this year? Um, well, I think that this is a playoff team without Kale McCarr, but I so think that I. it's I think it's more of like a wild card team. And with Kale McCarr, he they are. In the thick of it, they are competing. I think they will be competing with St. Louis for uh, winning the Central. And like, look, like without without Kale McCarr in those eight games, <clears throat> since we won't we won't count the rest of the Boston game as as them playing without him, even though they did win that game. Uh, I think the Avs went four three and one over five hundred. Yeah, and that includes two of the the two losses in the last couple of minutes of the game. Yep, where you been six one and one exactly, and so it's you know you're you're saying yeah he's absolutely important, but this is still obviously a good team. Um, so when you say has there ever been a defenseman like so like what Kale McCarr has, has done so far has obviously been historic, and he's he's a fantastic young player, but like I don't know, I don't know about this like. No player has been this important, right? I don't I don't know that I would go quite that far. If only because my hockey history just does not go far back far enough back to really remember some of the great performances before nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, I mean you remember like forwards a lot more as well, I would say. Well, sure. And like you see rookie forwards come in and dominate because it's a lot easier. And that's part of what has made uh, what Makar's done so special because this is a 21 year old kid that just like rolled in and was like, by the way, I'm just better than everybody. <laughs> it's, it's obviously very special, but I, I think I certainly believe that he's going to be an incredibly great defenseman in the NHL for a long, long time. Yeah. But trying to compare his impact to someone like say Ray Bork, yeah. Over the course of an entire career, it's a very hard thing to do. Well, and like, even if you just in a micro version, you know, impact on his rookie season impact on that team, you look at Tyler Myers was a major force his rookie year uh, and, and gave that team a huge jolt of life. And that was a hundred point team. So, you know, and then I do you remember Dion Phaneuf had a 20 goal season his rookie year? You know, we we, once upon a time, we laugh about it now because it's like, man, Dion Phaneuf, what a douchebag, right? Like that guy's, but again, like uh, the guy had a 20 goal season on a hundred point team. So it's hard to pick apart the player from the team sometimes. Yeah. And, and like trying to decide like whose impact was greater, like it, it's impossible to know that. Yeah. Uh, especially because it's easy to be caught up in the day-to-day of how special Kale McCarr is. And 
difficult and, and not knowing like just how important was Dion Phaneuf to the 2005, 2006 Calgary flames. Right. <laughs> You'll never know. Really. Yeah. Like none of us can go back and be part of that day-to-day process being involved in that team. It, who knows? Well, um, nobody. So we'll move on to the next question. Yeah. S Terrell asks, are the Avalanche's struggles to properly utilize their AHL team to develop players unique to this organization or a pitfall that many teams across the league struggle with? And we, the last time we talked about this, I think we both agreed that the Avs are probably in the bottom 10 of the league for player development, mm-hmm. but certainly not the worst. Right. You can't have the Edmonton Oilers in your league and say that you're the worst. Yeah, that's it's been a brutal process. It's actually starting to look a little bit better for them. Finally, this year with guys like Ethan bear, finally getting into the NHL. But when you're talking about I mean, a team that to I, erase 2015. Yeah. Because everybody crushed it that year. It was an all time great draft. If you're anybody but Florida, you did very well. <laughs> And- like 2015, they got Connor McDavid, Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, and John Marino. Now, not all those guys are playing for uh, the Oilers, but all of those dudes are in the NHL kind of doing their thing right now to some level. Uh, and for them, that's an amazing draft, right? But like a lot of years, if you look at if you look at a team like Edmonton, they're not getting a whole lot out of well. I mean, here's the the separator for me is a lot of their picks that have been successful beyond the first round have ended up being successful for other teams. Eric Gustafson being very successful in Chicago right now. Tobias Reiter. Yeah, Tobias Reiter has bounced around all over the place. Um, You know, the... the whole story about how if he had scored goals, Edmonton would have made the playoffs and all that business, but... I mean, John John Marino has been a huge breakout star for the Pens this year. Yeah, right. So they haven't held on to the pieces that have been successful. And and the few that they have, they do have like Kyra, who is playing well enough for them on the defensive side that he's more or less a regular NHLer. But where they have that, where they've missed is guys like Jesse Puyuyarvi. Kyler Yamamoto has struggled very much as a first round pick in the NHL so far. Uh. They've Neil Yakupov was first yeah, overall. That Neil Yakupov guy, you know, not great. So, and and like I think what makes the Yakupov thing even worse is that they turned down a massive trade haul for for him. Yeah, it was their third first overall pick in a row. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you can't develop a team into a contender with three straight first overall picks, then what are you doing as an organization? That's uh that's kind of all I have to say on the matter when it comes they to had Edmonton, but eight straight top ten picks. Yep. They had top ten picks in eight straight years. And so when you talk about like the abs and their struggles, that's the one thing the abs have done well. Like Tyson Jost is their worst top ten pick. I, and yeah. I understand that, like that, you could say that that's nitpicking because Duncan Siemens was taken eleventh, but you know Duncan Siemens was also taken eight years ago. I mean, it, when you're looking at their first round picks, yes, Duncan Siemens was a miss. They also drafted Gabe Landeskog that year. Mm-hmm. 
beyond that, in this decade, they have Connor Bleakley, which was a miss. Mm-hmm. And they had 2012 where they didn't have a first round pick. Yeah. And then I guess you would also count Joey Hishin, but there's obviously big asterisks there. Right. So the Avs have been very good with their first round picks for the most part. They certainly haven't blown one as on big a scale as Puyu Yarvi, let alone Yakupov. Right. So- and even, even in, you can hate the Jost pick, but you go and you look at that draft and. There's really only like two guys you could make a strong argument for who they should have picked instead. Tyson Jost has is what the twelfth most points of anyone out of that draft class currently. Uh, I mean, I, I, sure. I, I, I believe I, you. It's it's twelve or thirteen. I I'm looking it up. I, yeah, and one ahead of him is Sam Gerrard, who the Avs now have. So, <laughs> right. So, like, sure, maybe Tyson Jost hasn't lipped, lived up to the pick position, but when you're looking at the rest of that draft, he's not yeah. that bad a pick. Well, and and six of the guys ahead of him in that top 12 were drafted ahead of him. Right. Matthews, Line, uh, Kachuk, yep. Keller, Dubois, Sergachev, all yep. drafted ahead of him. And the two guys that I mentioned that you would say you, you could probably argue for having taken instead of uh, instead of him were McAvoy and Chikrin. And, right. and even then, like Chikrin's been an injury disaster until this season. And, you know, Charlie McAvoy, like Charlie McAvoy is a nice player, but he, I, I think he's also struggled more than we've expected. I think, I think a lot of us thought he was going to be after that great performance he had in the postseason. I think a lot of people thought that he was going to take the next step into a superstardom and he has not. Not point being super healthy either. You go back and you look at that draft, and it's just not a very good draft class, right? That there's a whole lot of what ifing about guys like DeBrincat and all that, right? But you're not going to take DeBrincat right tenth overall. Like that's that's super hindsight. Like oh well, they should have done it if they're you know they were any good at this and et cetera, et cetera. Like okay. That's but, like that's like also saying that the Avs should have taken Nikita Kucherov instead of Duncan Siemens in 2011. Like, yeah, in hindsight, five years later, it's obvious. Yeah, right, exactly. But, but at the time, nobody was making that argument. Right, and you're looking at a lot of these guys drafted in the first round after Jost, and it's like, well, this isn't great. Tage Thompson by St. Louis, Henrik Borgstrom, Henrik Borgstrom from Florida. Yeah. There's just a whole bunch of meh Fabro with Nashville. Never been a big fan of his game. Yeah. I mean, even like, you know, I was a big Luke Cunning fan and he's just okay for Minnesota. Mike McLeod can't make this New Jersey team. Yeah. You know, Logan, Logan Brown is, you know, is, is barely irregular uh, for, a terrible Ottawa team. You know, so, the Kiefer Bellows, Dennis Chalowski, like Julian Gauthier, like all these guys, man, it's, you, you're just not talking about the like, ways the abs could have done better with that draft pick are far fewer than the ways they could have done worse. Yeah. Like it's basically McAvoy and Chikrin of like yeah. the realistic it's McAvoy and Chikrin. Oh, so, or I mean, would you rather if they have taken Logan Stanley who they liked that year? 
the big hulking defenseman who would have been great back in 2002 and is a total misfit today. Yep. Not, uh, not even got an NHL game under his belt. Not right. been particularly standout in the AHL these past year and a half either. So, yeah. So we, we, we've talked about, I mean, okay. So we, this kind of turned into like a super honed in version of the Jost conversation. It did. It did. But they are, they're definitely not the worst, which, is not the most ringing endorsement I've ever given anything ever. Definitely <laughs> not the worst, but I think they, I, I feel like they've gotten better, but that might just be optimism about their recent classes because I mean, right now you look at their, you look at the organization and you feel like, Hey, Connor Timmons is probably a player. Right? I mean, like Adam Werner has shown way more than we ever expected out of Adam Werner. Um, you know, sample Ranta's feet, you're, you're feeling good about that. Annan, you're feeling good about that. Uh, you, you look at the most recent draft class and you have to feel really good about Bokaj and Mutala and Drew Hellison. Like, there's, I feel like there's optimism. And Nick Henry is off to a good start in the AHL. Uh, Igor is off to a, a, a much better second year in the AHL. Like, there's, there are some guys hanging around. I think there are some things to be optimistic about. I do think the fact that the Avs have more first rounders in their system than maybe ever right <laughs> now uh, does sway it a little bit. But yeah, the the guys like Timmons, who is technically a second rounder, the guys like Ranta, who's a third rounder showing promise, are, are where the Avs have had deficiencies. And if they do start to turn those things around, <clears throat> That's a very quick ladder out of the bottom 10 of the league. I mean, uh, Ranta and in combination alone. I mean, look at that draft class. You look at 2018 right now and how how iffy everybody was the day that it happened. But Annan, you're feeling great about. Ranta's trending upwards. Even Tyler Weiss trending upwards. Brandon Sajan is a whole other story. But Dravilov trending upwards. Kovalenko trending upwards. Shamil Shmakov still in witness protection. So that's a success for him on a personal level. Like you're talking about, they could get three or four and that's not even counting Martin count in the first round. Like they could get three or four NHL players out of this because I definitely think that Kovalenko is an NHL player someday. I definitely didn't count as a player someday. They could be line mates. Yeah, and line, left if they, right. if they get lucky, uh, with with Ranta and Ananen, I mean that's we could be looking back on that draft class and like, hey, that's something, it's you know, two thousand nine two point oh kind of. Yeah. Well, and we don't talk about him very much, but Tyler Weiss has fourteen points in seventeen games. Like Tyler Weiss is having exactly the kind of trajectory that we were hoping he would have. An adjustment the first year, dealt with some of the injuries because he's a toothpick finding his legs in the second year and the skill is starting to really shine through. And, you know, that could be a guy. He's a guy to keep an eye on. And Dravilov has obviously forced his way into the conversation because he's in his second straight uh, WJC and he's carved out a role as a teenager in the KHL, which is very difficult to do. Yep. Certainly a lot more optimism I would say out of the last two years than there has been in a long time. Yeah. Uh, and and then you look at, I mean, you look around the league, you just, I mean, just look at their division right now. 
you know, all of Chicago's first round picks end up playing for Arizona. <laughs> you know, Minnesota's bottom six is like all draft picks, all all like first round picks that, that they did the Tyson Jost thing like a handful of times. You know, maybe their best first round pick since they were last in the top 10 was Alex Tuck and they traded him away in the in the expansion draft. So, you know, they they the Avs definitely have their problems. They definitely have problems, but they are by no means at the at the bottom of the barrel even if even when you compare them to the teams in their direct vicinity. They are not because you give you give Chicago the credit for DeBrincat, right? And you're like, oh, what a what a great pick. But they traded Henry Henry Yokiharu for Alex Nylander, who by the way was drafted ahead of Jost and sucks. Like <laughs> you've they've got, you know, they traded away Nick Schmaltz. They traded Ryan Hartman, Toivo Teravinen. Like they've they have burned through so many of these picks and they've done it where, where Chicago's done a good job is they've gotten role players, like decent role players out of uh, non first round picks. And that's all good and well, but a lot of these guys have been role players for other teams. Uh, and you could also say that, Hey, if they, if Chicago was better though, these guys wouldn't have been in the NHL at all. You know, because it's it's you're gonna give you're gonna give credit to a team for like like when Colorado was burning was was burning through playing a bunch of bad guys who were on their the only time they ever played in the NHL was for bad abs teams. You know, is that a good draft pick or is that just because you have nobody better to play there? And that's part of the reason why you're bad. It's complicated. Yeah, it's it's a very imperfect process and you're looking at some of these other teams in the Central Division, like you mentioned, Chicago, they haven't really had a quality draft class since 2011. And in 2011, they had two firsts, two seconds, and two thirds to get picks out of. And they got, they ended up getting Saad and Deneau and then a couple others later down the line, like Andrew Shaw. But after like, that. Look at even that draft class. Like Philip Deneau was, didn't, he broke out in Montreal. Mark right. McNeil was a total bust. Brandon Saad has spent half his career in Columbus, and Andrew Sp- Andrew Shaw spent half his career in Montreal too. Right, exactly. So they end up not using a lot of the pieces that they have. You you go up to their next draft class where they got more than two players. Out. I guess they have Hinnestroza. That was nice in 2012. But 2013, mm-hmm. Tyler Mott does not play for Chicago. John Hayden does not play for Chicago. <laughs> They're their successful picks are a lot like when you look down the abs line and go, Oh look, Will Butcher was a good pick, but he did not play for the abs. Like, you're given it's like, okay, so John Hayden is a great example of this. Tyler Mott even um an all would also be a very good example because like these are like borderline NHL players who are playing on bad teams. Yep. They broke in on bad Blackhawks teams, and you know, John Hayden is now with the Devils and Tyler Mott is scraping by in Vancouver. The last couple of years. So, you know, you're, you're not even really talking about like, like quality depth players here. And, you know, it, it, these are guys like TJ Galliardi where it's like, yeah, you got a, you got a player out of that, uh, out of that draft pick. And that's okay. But you don't really get like a, 
Like Galliardi had the one good year, right? I would say even closer to more like a Blandisi or something like that. Right. That's yeah, exactly. You're getting a lot more of a Blandisi type where these are just depth guys who are fitting in on bad teams and they disappear before 200 games played. And the, the sad part is, is that would be a big step forward for the abs. But at the same time, like the abs in the NHL aren't bad anymore. And getting them, getting prospects into the abs is going to be harder than ever because they're good. And uh, at the end of the day, I do think the abs need to have a better process when it comes to developing their players. Oh my God. Yeah. If they win a cup, does it matter? (laughs) If, if they win a cup, it's really hard to continue to call the front office clueless. Right. Like they're clearly doing something right at the NHL level and have built already at this point, in my opinion, a contender. And if they go on to win it, then they've built a champion. And it doesn't really matter how you get to that road. You got there. Well, and and if you look at, hey, where where did they build around? You know, they Landis Gog, homegrown. Rantanen, homegrown. McKinnon, McCarr, homegrown. You know, they're... They have what's I think what's been interesting about the Avs is that they have gotten increasingly homegrown as time has gone on. Lots of trades, lots of imports, lots of that stuff, but they've also gotten more of these guys. You know, uh, I, I I guess it's not maybe it's it's a, a leap by me, but I look at guys like Conference Dorov as homegrown. They traded for those guys at the very beginning of their careers, and almost all of their development has taken place in Colorado. Either in Colorado system or in Colorado itself. Like they I, did they did the heavy lifting on both of those guys. Yeah. I mean, I always think they've had a certain level of, of homegrown <clears throat> factor to it, you know, even going back. Guys like Paul Stasty, obviously Duchesne, Lyles. O'Reilly Barry. O'Reilly Barry, Chris Stewart for yeah. a time. Um, so they've they've had those pieces, but regularly the pieces have capped out. The homegrown pieces have been a Matt Duchesne. Very, very good, not elite. Yeah. Now they have McCarr, they have McKinnon. The homegrown pieces have become elite level. Yeah. They got three of them with Ranton and McCarr and McKinnon that elevated the entire franchise. Yep. That exactly that this final period has gone on extremely long now, though. So time to wrap it up. If you have any final thoughts as the abs take on Minnesota tonight, AJ. Uh, I, I hope they smoke Minnesota because Minnesota kind of low key sucks. And the abs, the abs should definitely do work in this game, especially with McCarr coming back and what I think the crowd is going to be like in Pepsi Center. This should be a good one. I think the real test is to Dallas tomorrow. Yep. Not the place that they have it. not played well, a team that has kind of owned them a little bit this year. And they are finally healthy though. And I want to see what that looks like. And, you know, in the, in the goaltender conversation, you know, Bedner told us today, Grubauer is still our guy, but you know, we're Frankie has earned playing time. And I think that's the right approach. And we talked about it and said, hey, if Grubauer's still your number one, Grubauer starts in Dallas. That's exactly what's happening. Yep. So it's on him to it's on him to make it happen now. 
right, hold it down, play well, get the Avs some W's. And, you know, I think Minnesota hopefully should be a blowout. I don't think they mm-hmm. low-key suck. I think they straight up suck. So, Well, last time you said it was a guaranteed win on the schedule, and that didn't go well. So, Well, yeah, that's why I stay away from predicting things these days. I gave up after that. Yeah, see, it's funny how quickly you learn. You go onto a pod, you're feeling good. Then you get dunked on by the universe, and it's like, ah, I'm out. <laughs> well, you know, I'll forget soon enough and make stupid predictions soon, I'm sure. But that will have to wait until next week's pods as we are getting out of here. Sure hope Kale McCarr is the top dog in tonight's game. And if you're looking for a top dog electrician, Piper Electric has been serving the Denver metro area since 1983. If you call 303-646-6765, they'll give you the DNVR hookup and save you 20% off your next service call. Whether it's residential, commercial, or industrial work, no job is too big or too small for Piper Electric. They have the top professionalism and integrity in the biz. Remember, call 303-646-6765 to receive 20% off your next service call. That's it for us. We will talk to you again on Monday.